Do you even suffer? Do you even know fear? Bruh. Welcome to Gom Jabber with the Moad Dweebs. I'm Josh Stevens. And with me, I have Lily Brislin and Alec Boyle. What up, nerds? <laughs> this We're week... back to first episode level Lily Brislin, so this is going to be a good show hey! tonight. <laughs> She's pumped. She's very proudly showing us how much of her bottle of wine she had drunk already. So <laughs> I am, uh, I am, as always, our Gurney Halleck and uh, Lily, our Reverend Mother. Thank you. Tell us a little more about yourself, Lily. Uh, I am aspiring Benny Jesuit. I am a professional nerd and a recreational dweeb. And, um, I, I have been using this as an excuse to indulge my drinking habit. So thanks guys for having me. <laughs> well, thank you. And, uh, Alec, our Baron Harkonnen. That's me. Finally appearing on stage for the first time since chapter two. I was thinking about that after the last episode. I was like, damn, we are like a solid third of the way through the book and the Baron has not shown up yet. But when he shows up, it's in a dashing yellow cape, Ooh. which I was <laughs> I was pleased with. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to know that in the 149th millennia, capes finally make the comeback they deserve. From your mouth to God's ears, Alec. I mean, that's what we need. All right, what do we read this week? What do we do on this? We need this summary. Give us our gurney. Tell us what we do on this podcast for the newcomers. So if you listen to last week's episode, um, this uh, this first chapter that we're reading uh, begins with a bit of a, a tune. It would be a funeral dirge. And uh, I recorded a little, a little interpretation of that. And Alec... Uh, Rightly fucked up and put it on the wrong episode. So if you want to hear that, go back an episode. Now to be fair, to, to be fair, no. The reason I put it on the wrong episode was because I had already read it in the text because we were all supposed to read that chapter, but Josh did not, and we never got to it. We were only supposed to read it until you decided that we weren't going to read it. And told all right, this to. is what happened last week. Every episode, we spend like twenty minutes talking about how much we read or don't read. We're not doing it. I read we it twice. I read it twice content. this week, guys. I read People it twice. People are here this week. for. Content. We are reading in theory three-ish chapters a week, working our way through this ultimate nerd compendium of Dune. And this is where the fun. This is where the fun begins. Yeah. So we are somewhere. I don't know. There's no chapters. Type name numbers in this book, which is. Yeah, I was writing my chapter numbers down, but I got lazy and didn't do it. Page one ninety nine in the Ultimate Nerd Compendium. This would be um, the. Uh, what was the name of this? Uh, Do you wrestle with dreams? This was the Penguin Galaxy version of the book. Yeah. Hmm. So page 199, I, if you'd like to follow along. I so, never uh, looked that particular bit up. Interesting to know. Penguin Galaxy it, sounds like a lovely place to visit. It does. But ever since I've been on the Nerdstagram, there are way cuter versions than ours. Like some of these folks have these like gorgeous like colored page edges and like hmm. bomb-ass covers. And... I I love this old girl for her durability. I mean, this is a dune volume that's going to get you through the desert, the great erg and back. Like she's a workhorse. It's a minimalist uh sort of sort of book. We yeah. want uh, that edition that was uh, ripe for taking with you for a, a trip on a thopter. <laughs> All right. Stowing so, under the seat. So Alex, we're going to get through three chapters this week. Yeah, did you have anything to say about uh this quote and how it how it applies to this particular chapter because I'm not sure if I follow the dirge, the dirge, the dirge of the great urge. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's from Songs of Maudib, and uh... well, yeah, again, book number four thousand, written by the Princess of Rulon. I'm, I think this okay. is a new one. This is a new one. This is a new. Hear one. me out. Does she release a Muadib's greatest hits and it's her doing acoustic covers? Of Muadib songs. Mm, Muadib unplugged. 
Oh, yes! ab- absolutely. I mean, it's probably a Greatest like, Hits Volume 1 and 2 on one album, and then there's like a Greatest Hits Volume 3 that comes later. Oh, my God. And it's only acoustic covers because that's the only thing white people can think to do during quarantine. It's like, you know that like kind of cool song I like from before? Let me make it a little more mellow. Well, and you know Arulan's been quarantined in that closet in the palace for the last 40 years. So, so true. So true. All right. Dirge is a dirge, Alec. What'd you think? Um... So I think the dirge is fairly simple connection in that um, everybody you know is about to die. (laughs) From this point forward, uh, lots of the cast people we have met are about to start getting hit upside the head. And this is uh, an elegy for them. (laughs) There are moments when this podcast has come a little too close to real life for me. <laughs> like that quote from last week about your ancestors, the like sins of your ancestors will come to pain you and There's, everyone well, you know will die. Yeah. Um, this actually is funny. Like this song, I think Josh did a wonderful job covering it, but Kudos, Josh. I think it's the least interesting of all three of the chapter headers that we get this week. The other two, uh, I have deeper thoughts about, um, but yeah, I hope y'all weren't too attached to your, like, in the, so let's talk about the chapter, right? I was just trying to say that, uh, victim of your folly is kind of an interesting line. Well, cause this song is about the impending death of the folliest man. In <laughs> uh, that's, I guess, that's, I guess what I was implying. Um, <laughs> Well, yeah, you he's know, a I'm, solid leader. He's got a firm grasp on inventory and tactics. As a as a Harkonnen, Josh, I have no mind for subtleties. So you got to explain this <laughs> stuff to me. I love actually. So just getting back to one of the discussions we had earlier, one of the things I love in this chapter is that like the Duke is laying there on the floor, right, and he looks through the hall to the door, and he's like, "Wait, somebody turned off the shield generators," and they spent. <laughs> So much of the last chapter talking about like why would the Harkonnens bring las guns in here? They know if they hit shields, like atomic bombs will go off and everyone will die. And it's like, well, gee, maybe they didn't think your shields were gonna be a problem. Uh, I love it. I love that so much of the like um, Atreides hubris comes to roost. Like we have. So here's where we are in the book. We have spent the first third of the book being like, man, the, the Atreides are like, those Harkonnens are a bunch of dopes. We're going to go in here. We're going to set things right. We're going to save. We're going to colonize the shit out of these people and save their planet. Do all this stuff. Aren't, they're so The Harkonnens are so dumb. We just got to do this. And then these three chapters, it all, like, their idiocy all comes crumbling down, right? Like, the levels of what's happening are really exciting. And again, we get the, it can't be Yui, he's conditioned. Right, not Jessica. And uh, to to skip ahead just a tiny bit, I I like this quote here, how simple it was to subdue the Bene Gesserit. All it took was treachery, how it was right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, speaking of people you should say goodbye to. Yeah. Jessica or how it? Uh, I mean, actually, neither really, but... Mm. Um, both spiritually, they'll never be. The All same right, we haven't even ever talked about what happened. Alec, give us this thirty-second rundown. Chapter one, funeral dirge. What happens in this chapter? Did we do this? Oh. Wait, sure. I want to do um, it. You want to do it? I mean, usually I'm joking when I say that, but you're not this <laughs> okay. time. Get on. No, it. I think I think I think I got this one. I think I, okay. I think I can actually do a summary Get of in this there. one. Uh, we've got Leto. He is in his home, and. Uh, he, he's just come out of a super awkward dinner party. It was super awkward. And uh, he's got a weird note. Everything's very ominous. Uh, and then um, something something strange is happening. And he's he gets a little suspicious. He starts looking around. And he finds a dead lump on the ground. And then another dead lump on the ground. And uh, that second dead lump wasn't totally dead. And it Oh, yeah. Pour him, one out for my homie oh, shout out Mapes. Oh, man. That's all just 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 a quick drink for uh, for the shout out mapes. Uh, it's real sad. I think not even sh- a quick drink. All right. Well, we can come back to that. But shout out to the shout out. Cheers. Cheers, y'all. Cheers, y'all. Oh, sad day. Um, I feel like what she told the Duke helped him less than if she had been dead. 
<laughs> like if she'd what? been dead, he would have just not been distracted. No, yeah, and I also think that what she, what she said was left to so much interpretation that it really also just confused him. He's like he, he hears um, doesn't he hear Yui's name or Doctor or something something like that? Oh, Tuek and something else. Wait, Yu, she gasped, killed guard, sent. Get Tuik! Escape! Milady! You! You! Here! No! She flopped forward, her head thumping against the stone. Oh, right. Right. The shout-out mapes. So she mentions Jessica, and he's already thinking about, should he go get Jessica? And now he's, like, trying to figure out the implication. Was Jessica the uh, the traitor here? Like, did Jessica get Jessica? Did Jessica do it? And now his mind's reeling. And then he goes a little further and... Um, he is poisoned, right? I mean, he drops right Thank to the God. ground. And then all is revealed. The traitor. Uh, Yui. And they have a, a short conversation about a tooth. Over and over. All about a tooth. Um, and that's it. The Duke goes dark. That's our 30 seconds. Yeah. That's I mean, great. I guess I, the, the great so line... Yeah, who the fuck is Tui? Oh, Tui Wasn't that, that was a traitor. That was a smuggler who was also dead there. Oh. Yeah. Right, who... Right, we know was an ally of kinds. Oh my god, I get it now. Because I didn't know who Tuik was. So, our girl shoutout was saying, It's you. Kill the guard. I sent to get Tuik. To escape, like she was, she the shout out knew what was happening. Sent for Tuik to get Lady Jessica to get them out of there, which was Jessica's plan all along. She knew a mm-hmm. smuggler would be what she needed. Oh, Lady, you, I was you wondering here. why Tuik was there. And so she was like, "I sent for Tuik to get Jessica, but you're here. That means it didn't work." Ah, dead. Oh, shout out. Hmm. Man, she was a, she was a real one, y'all. Yeah, just another uh, victim on the pile of the Atreides Harkonnen rivalry. Man, three hundred three hundred men killed for the Duke by Gurney or no by Duncan <laughs> Idaho. Um, it does have the great line: "You were dead anyway, my poor Duke, but you'll get close to the Baron before you die." The tooth. Said, no. I love, I love all the toothiness of all this. It's so funny. He's so obsessed with this tooth that is such a great plan. I, <laughs> I love it in the like. I get why I spent so much time on it, right? Like, so much of the audio just like, oh, what's his name? <laughs> Sam from uh, Quantum Leap. Oh yeah. Right, and he's just like the tooth, the tooth. <laughs> Real tooth, you ain't muttered. Close-up shots of his lips. So in this, the Duke realizes he's like, but how he's a he's a whatever. What's it? What kind of doctor is he? Suk 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 Suk. Um, his conditioning. So uh, and so, it only took me a third of the book to really start thinking about how much of this is this narrative how much of the plot hinges on the fallacy of human systems and like we think that we can do all this conditioning we've got the souk doctor who could be overturned we've got the mentat and then we learn in the next chapter we're about to talk about that there's a twisted mentat we've got these benny jesuits but there's all sorts of fallacies in their plan it's like we keep thinking that we can have these like perfect rational or even like just strategic human systems Mm -hmm. that are infallible impenetrable and it turns out you're a human. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of, right, again, of Herbert's uh, point is just uh, don't trust organizations, don't trust leaders. And everyone's a victim of their own folly. <laughs> I love how you say that, Alec. I'm like, well, okay, it's Herbert's point, but I, like, get it now. So okay. I just want to say it out loud. Yeah, no, I think it's good to articulate. I just, I, th- I say that not for us, but for the audience, right? I think again, we had this discussion about some of the f- the other Dune Facebook groups, right? I think a lot of people who like Dune do not understand Dune. 
Right? There are a lot of people out there who are who think the Atreides are the heroes and the Harkonnens are the bad guys, and that's what this story is about. Mm. Uh, which literally could not be further from the truth. Is there anything else sort of philosophically interesting in this chapter? Um I feel like I mean, this we is can a prime time to apologize plan. for the Duke a little bit here. Oh, we yeah. Should, give we us shouldn't our, speak ill of Oh, our new he's segment. gone. So give us, you know. <laughs> our last Duke apologist. I think I he's really, got one more chance. I really style. don't know if I have anything is the problem. <laughs> I just felt like it was like the right moment to, you know, to interject just the greatness of this, uh, this Atreides machine that this good Duke has put together. This keen reader of men. I do think that the funeral dirge is like the ultimate read on read as in like insult yeah. to the Duke, right? <laughs> <laughs> your life is stolen. You tarried with trifles, victim of your folly. And this is supposed to be about Muad'Dib. And even he, like his like dirge for his father is like, dude, you got played. You well, strictly speaking, this fool. is a dirge for Jamis. Yeah. Uh, oh. Old Paul yeah. stabbed through the neck, so... <laughs> yeah, they have that. They have that fight the first time they they meet each other or something. Like that. So interesting. There's an interesting philosophical point. This is a dirge for Jamis, who Paul murdered, heading the chapter about his dad dying because he tarried with trifles. That's why I was wondering. Yeah. So mm. Paul kind of wrote it for both of them. It sounds like I guess. Or no, Paul didn't. Right? Paul wrote this song about killing Jamis, and then. Rulin was like, let me just uh, stick this here at the top of this chapter about your dad biting it. She is the shadiest queen. I love her. That is some serious shade. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's real good. Very nice. Yeah. All right. I feel like we put a nice bow in this chapter. That's a good. Let's move on to the next one. Um, And I'm really interested. I don't know how this next one relates to the chapter it is about, but I do have lots of thoughts about how it relates to the Atreides dominion. Uh, uh, There should be a science of discontent. People need hard times and oppression to develop psychic muscles from collected sayings of Moadib by the princess Arulan, which is basically, I think Paul explaining why things are shitty in his empire. (laughs) But I think this also goes back to, I mean, the thing we've talked about a couple of times that, that good old Frank really does believe that uh, those harsh uh, circumstances make make the person. They, they develop the character. Absolutely. I just mean, in-universe, it's real funny that the emperor of the known universe would be like, oh yeah, it's gotta be shitty. That's how you get tough, kid. <laughs> That's why we don't have universal health care. Or <laughs> I think it's interesting, they also went with how to develop psychic muscles. Psychic muscles. That was an interesting choice there because I wonder if he thinks that other people who've had it real shitty actually have psychic muscles at all. Like, well, right. But then you're dealing with their two meanings for psychic, right? Like anything related to the mind can be psychic. Mm. And in this book, there's both, obviously. So it's kind of weird. I don't know. What's Lily's thought on that? Yeah, I guess you're wagon. I'm trying to make the connection between like this idea of um oh god Dr. Brisley can't find words when you know when the idea that people that succeed in life it's because they deserve it uh, uh meritocracy merit- meritocracy and exceptionalism like where he's like oh if you don't have badass uh quitsat satiric abilities like me it's because you haven't suffered how I have right like mm. my life path I've made a science of my struggle and you've just wasted that opportunity. There, his like, there should be a science of this to me is like him being like, I have made my lifelong study of my struggles. Is it, have y'all ever, does your algorithm and book things pull up this book of like my struggle by like some white Scandinavian guy? Do you know what I'm talking about? There's Wait, some you white mean Scandin- Hitler? Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure he wrote a book called My Struggle. And if it's getting advertised to you, that's a problem. <laughs> Fuck! Uh, touche. Oh, God, no, no, I gotta look No, it's not what it is. Anyway, so. <laughs> God damn it. I'm done. I quit. <laughs> oh, you're me today. 
Welcome. Yeah, we haven't had a quit in a while. I'm excited. Yeah. Here's me walking off. I mean, yeah. Basically, Paul's like, I've been gone, Jabard. Have you? <laughs> you right? haven't been gone, Jabard. <laughs> like, if you haven't been gone, Jabard, then you know nothing. Do you even suffer? Do you even know fear, bruh? That's why I'm the emo king of the universe. <laughs> and he knows the answer, because everyone else tried and died. Tried and died. <laughs> okay, alright, so what ha- give us the 30 second rundown. So the 30 Alex, second rundown of this chapter, which is a little more than that, but um, Jessica realizes that she got chlorophyme performed by Yui. Uh, mm-hmm. She wakes up bound in some kind of crazy zip tie that gets tighter if you try to get out mm-hmm. uh the baron comes in in his dashing flamboyant yellow cape gloats for a second <laughs> then uh very maybe conveniently paul and jessica get put on an ornithopter where they're going to be dumped in the desert to die um or maybe we can get back this maybe it wasn't convenient maybe there's some more of that old benny jesserit at work there um Hmm, was it? Then Paul uses a little bit of voice magic to get them to take off Jessica's gag so she can use full voice magic. Uh, And they kill the people who are guarding them. And then they're going to try and fly away in the ornithopter, but then another ornithopter is coming to blow it up. So they grab a mysterious package from under the seat and run off into the sand. Yeah, and you skipped uh, two of my favorite things. (laughs) I aim to please. What I skip? Uh, Piter. Hmm. You skip Piter, and the uh, the deaf Harkonnen that they sent with the witch, so that she couldn't voice magic him. Hmm. Yeah. So this, so this is the like enter the Baron chapter. We've been hearing about the Harkonnens, about like what hapless oafs they are, and you're just imagining like some Russian oligarch who just I don't know buys his way through things with. Soviet issue uh, guns. I don't know. And last guns. Soviet issue last guns. Soviet issue last guns. And then it turns out the Baron comes in and like has thought through these very elaborate plans, right? How did how did the Duke's main security guy not know how serious the voice was? Like only in the last our last series of chapters was he like, oh shit, the voice is really real. Baron knew that. He he defified a guy. He That's a he really took... good point. The Harkonnens were like, no, don't fuck with the people who have the voice. And the Harkonnens, or not the Harkonnens, the Atreides. Yeah. Like, what, what? Yeah. And they've got really one. Point. <laughs> if I say If I say one thing in this chapter, <laughs> let me say this. The Baron is the first man that actually respects your power, right? He is like, no, take her seriously. Do all the things. Long con. Big planning, all sorts of levels of things. And he like, really this? wants to talk to her. Oh, he does. He really wants. Yeah, to I love that bit that he like. That's such a good character detail. Yeah, the Baron's great. What would so okay? What would he? What would he want to talk to her about? I mean, he knows who, where she's from, right? Would he? But he. It's more that he wants her response. Like he can tell her anything she wants yeah what's the point of telling someone something if you can't hear the response yeah no i think he wants i think mainly he wants to talk to her about how dumb the atreides are and he knows oh, probably the only person too. with the perspective to yeah no you're, you're right i mean i think it'd just be a good conversation in general but um, yeah you, you get the impression also that like he hates leto but she's the only he respects her mm-hmm, mm-hmm. also I really like the Baron. I mean, you want to talk about a guy who's put some serious planning into effect. He has manipulated his twisted Mentat to the point where he's promised him that he, that that Piter can have the Lady Jessica, only to do a little switcheroo, a little bait and switch on him there. Um, he's just you know pulling strings. He's the puppet master. It's beautiful. Yeah, and I, I love that from Jessica's perspective, as she's like looking back and forth between the two of them having the argument, and she's like, wait, does he not realize that he's lying? Wait, does he not realize that he's lying? How come Jessica has suddenly forgotten and is surprised that everyone around her can't read everybody else's lies, especially <laughs> when everyone around her is always lying? Well, 
she did just wake up from being hella drugged. <laughs> Interesting. No, I'm with Josh. It's consistent. She's like... And when she comes to the realization of that it was UA that drugged her, like, ah, I just am so sad about that. Sometimes I think it's, it's, a, it's a writer thing. Sometimes I think that he wants Jessica to be super s- smart and aware, but he forgets like Frank forgets to make her smart and aware. Um, you know, it's, it's very much like a, a Tyrion Lannister in the second half of Game of Thrones, the show. Right. right. Like the writers could no longer keep up with his intellect. Or a um, Counselor Troy, right? Like when her power oh. would be too inconvenient, you just weaken her power. Oh, you know, it's probably, it's probably more that than anything. It's really <laughs> hard to work with a character that has insane amounts of power. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, there's no reason for them to ever not know something. You are so right. That's a great Worlds Collide. We haven't done one of those. Oh, yeah, there we go. All right, collide. Worlds Collide. They Benny Star Trek the Benny Gesserit power. Benny Gesserit Betazoids. Betazoid. Yeah. Benizoids. Benazoids. <laughs> the Benazoids. Ben. Betas. Generous. Benazoids sounds like one of those high-powered drugs that these rich nobles are always <laughs> taking that you want. These anti-fatigue uppers. Yeah. yeah. This is what it's popping some Betazoids. Maybe. Hey, Josh, I need Benazoids. you to reach out to Betazoids them. and Dunesta. They work really well together. You take your upper. You take your downer. <laughs> <laughs> call that a <laughs> Caladan speedball. There we go. <laughs> Um. Oh, so interesting though. Here's a here talking about right. We know the Baron respects and understands Jessica's abilities. The way she figures out that it's Yui, right, is the Baron says the drug was timed. We knew to the minute when you'd be coming out. He knows that she's gonna then immediately know who betrayed her. He is digging the knife in there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right, Absolutely. by saying like, "Oh yeah, your doctor did this to you." I, I will say, yeah. with the exception of her surprise, which I guess you can write off due to the drugs, um, and you know that classic little literary conundrum, there is some phenomenal writing in this chapter. Yeah, I and I, I, it's funny. Love... I was about to say the same thing, and I think it's because the Baron finally came on stage, and just like Herbert is also very excited to finally have this mm-hmm. guy in the room, right? And it's just yep. like yep. he comes crackling to life all of a sudden. Absolutely, but even um, Jessica's thoughts on Paul using the voice. Um, Next chapter. What? <laughs> no, that's later in this chapter. That's this chapter. Oh. Next chapter Sorry. is just Yui. Um, yeah, just some great, uh, great interaction. Um, I think he did a good job of portraying the uh, the Harkonnen um, thugs. You know, that are doing doing the dirty work, uh, letting them kind of chat back and forth you get some good interactions between them without them seeming too i don't know three stooges i love so like the baron's plan is to strategic anti-knowledge what actually happens to jessica so he's like mm. P- i can only say peter say the name josh i can't piter 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 you can have have her a holder right you can you do but i won't know but uh, i kind of know what you're gonna do here's the plan and then piter's like uh he's like no i'll take the fifey and and then says i'm gonna do what the baron did yeah that seems like a good plan hey you deaf thug you take her where the traitor said to take her because this gets introduced in this chapter i got really confused about it i was like is the who's the traitor is the baron the traitor who's the traitor so all along, you. there's Yui put the whole plan in place. He's like, yeah. he's like, take take a thopter, take him out to the desert, drop him off. And yeah, why? Why would they listen to him? Why, why would that's they? That's right. Like, it's know? very convenient that they're just like, oh yeah, let's do what that guy said. Yeah, he seems reliable. <laughs> I mean, he did deliver in no way at all. Well, he did. He did literally just deliver all three of them as promised. True, and I guess right. Like, I don't get the impression. I think it's textual. The Baron never lived on Arrakis, right? He ruled it, but was never there. And Yui has been there, so they're kind of, I think, just thinking, oh, this guy's been on the ground, I guess, trust him, right? And I th- the, way, the thing that gives it away is 
the way he gets them to use the right thopter is mm-hmm. by claiming that it's the only one that's prepped for deep desert work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? I think it was so a good plan. Good. It was a good plan. I feel like he could do a lot of stuff like that where he'd be like, oh, no, no, you want to get rid of a body on Arrakis, you don't kill him, you leave him in the desert. And I would argue that other than the Baron, other than the Baron, Yui is like the first person to really have a plan go fairly well, um, you know, until it didn't. You're right, Josh. He's kind of the only one so far who's had his plans actually turn out. Yeah, I mean, shit didn't start off very very well for him and he didn't love the way any of this was going throughout but he did it pretty competently yeah yeah I he will kept say, that so ball in the air both sides of it both, both doing what he said he would do to the Baron and doing the promise that he gave to the Duke when he gave him the tooth no no you're, you're Sorry, too Lily. you're too harsh you gotta the tooth the tooth I don't know you didn't hear the audible the recording tooth. that I was listening to oh. the tooth <laughs> That's really good. What were you going to say, Lily? Sorry, Lily. I want to talk about colonialism and colonialists and just how great a commentary it is on, like, if you're as, I mean, we've been shown, like, as much as the Atreides are like, oh, the, the Harkonnens are dupes. They're not. He had really good plans. He just doesn't know shit about Arrakis. And when you delegate your colonial powers, you don't actually know a place. And so, like, in some ways, UA is the Baron's undoing. Because he doesn't know the place that he mm. colonialized and extracted resources from and did all sorts of human and natural harm. Yeah. It's good. Like, the commentary here is subtle, but I appreciate it. Like, as wise as he was, like, he didn't actually know the place. And it is more and more that Arrakis, like, has its own agency. Like, you have to reckon with this place. You have to reckon with the nature of it and its people, or she'll come for you. Counterpoint. Does. Counterpoint. Oh, come for me. I, I agree, and I would also pose that the Baron has put his own safety and well-being above that of obtaining Arrakis. Like, he gives Piter, he, he basically convinces so Piter always- to take it. He gives the guy he thinks has the best shot of pulling it off control of it. He puts the plans in place. But doesn't put himself in danger by being there to micromanage, and so in doing yeah, so, he always keeps Arrakis at fifty feet away. Because and if he ever loses it, he could just go for it again. So I think it was a calculated risk uh, to protect himself. So he is in some ways the best colonialist because he actually knows what's up. 100%. He's the one who's like, I'm not going there. Yeah, fuck right. this, <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> He'll do just enough, and. Meanwhile, stepping on the balls of the Duke, like, super hard. <laughs> like, that's my real concern. The money is nice, right? The, the 50 billion chome bucks a day is nice. But really... And he really, he really gets to stick it to everybody, right? Like, he sticks it, he sticks it to Piter, makes Piter choose between the lady and the, and the, and the, the, the fiefdom or whatever. He gets to talk to Yui and, uh, and give Yui the bad news. And uh, he gets to talk and gloat, gloat over the Duke. And get he away. Gets, he, he gloats over Jessica by conv- revealing the And Jessica. Yeah, I mean. No, he's, he, a, he's a brilliantly written uh, sadist. He really pulls it off. Pulls I it also really it. like the way that Herbert portrays, like, he really effectively conveys Piter as this sort of, like, chained animal. Mm. Right? Who, like, he does a really good de- job describing him. And he's like, tall and quiet and still and yet like through Jessica's eyes you can tell he's just this insane murderer as a uh, as a child or a teenager reading this book and seeing this movie I never respected the Baron until now mm. yeah mad respect who is so who is a good worlds collide Piter? like who is that kind of level of like mm. cold like Deeply hmm. psychotic, but not, but uh, even keeled, because he's a twisted oh. mentat, right? Yeah, probably um, like a Roose Bolton. Oh, hmm. Roose is a oh, you're good. Yeah, wait, Roose is the dad, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the son's, you know. His uh, his bastard son's also pretty unhinged. Right, but, but Ramsey's off little... the chain. Ramsey is Ramsey's not a chained like, okay. animal. Right. Roos is. <laughs> Roos was the uh, was the chained animal. Mm-hmm. 
Too much Games of Thrones in our worlds collide. I There's wanna... a lot of similarities in these stories. I mean, they. Oh yeah, you know Herbert read the shit out of this. Yeah. Right. It's full of Game of Thrones is full of dinner parties. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're saying epic that Martin the, You're saying Martin read the shit out of this, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You, yeah, I thought you were saying the other way around. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, Frank Herbert went forward in time. Read the five Game of Thrones books that will ever be published. Well, I'm pretty sure that's back. what you said, but not what you meant. Oh, are y'all Wheel of Time readers? Have y'all read Wheel of Time? No. How the ways that my nerddom is different from yours? I'm on book eleven of twelve, so it's on my list. And speaking of time, wait, no, I get to say this before we say cut it. to our before we cut. Say it. So for the actual nerds out there who do read Wheel of Time, there's. <laughs> There's the guy in Wheel of Time who's uh, not the Dragon Reborn, who's the head of the Black Tower, who's like also a man that channels the power. And I'm totally blanking on his name. I'll come back to it during the break. But he's the like the 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 source, the power, like twists men's minds because it's corrupted. This is why I love Wheel of Time. Mm. Even though it's written by a man. And he's like, uh, Shit, now I, this is why I can't remember anybody's names and why I can't talk about things. Anyway, I know who it is, and I'll come back to it, which is makes a great break for our next sponsor. Yeah, word from our, from our sponsor. Um, from the people that brought you space bags, uh, their, uh, their space <laughs> clocks division brings to you a new timepiece, a classic, uh, classical timepiece that will take all the guesswork out of telling time while traveling amongst the stars. People at Space Clocks bring to you their Mentat series, the Ducal Timepiece. The movements are so perfect, you'd hardly think that they were made by humans. The bezel is an aesthetic wonder, a technical marvel made with the finest Arakeen quartz. When you don't want to have to calculate the 28 minutes in the dark when you wake up, just look at your Mentat. You're... Sky, stop laughing. No one can hear you. And it just makes me sound stupid. <laughs> uh, they I'm also, just in awe. They also have a, um, a, a second line, um, their Benny Gesserit collection. Um, the, the newest piece within the Benny Gesserit collection. Lily, what was that one called again? Melangenet. Ah, uh, yes, Melangenet. Um, that one has uh, some really unique features that you won't find on any other timepiece. Um, when you, you really never will ever run late again. Not only is the precision of that timepiece just so perfect, but it will tune everyone else's timepieces to yours whenever you're near them. Never be late again. <laughs> Thank you, Space Clocks. Gosh, I really need one of those, ladies, because you know if you're a woman like me, when you're late, it's a big problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I know. That's that's what they made it just for just for BGs like you. Thanks, Josh. I'm so excited. I can't wait to get my Melangenet. You, you, I think they're sending you one. Okay, for any actual nerds out there who are listening, I realized who it was. So Randall Thor is the Dragon Reborn, right? <laughs> he channels the power. Mazram Mazram Taim. Mazram Taim is the head of the Black Power, the Black Tower. And he is the Peter Piter. I'm so far out in the nerdry, man. I'm on like the last <laughs> tiny limb. <laughs> well, you know what me and Josh have read that has a character who kind of reminds me of this to a certain extent uh, is uh, the fifth season. And I was just thinking, Ooh. he kind of reminds oh. me. Of... I'm sorry. Did you think I have not read the no, fifth season? Oh, no, I, I have... knew you had. You, you yeah, were... we okay. both know you've read it. Yeah. Um, he kind of reminds me of the initial impression that you get of the Ten Ringer, whose name I can't remember. Alabaster. Oh, God. Alabaster. I love him. Right. But initially, he does seem like like a very still, dangerous, mm. right? It's a similar sort of uh, mm. scary vibe, even though it Yeah, out. like super intense training that got fucked right at the end, right? And yeah. so he's like, an e- yeah, okay. But then he proves that to be good. I don't know if Piter's going to get us oh, no. there. There's no redemptive arc for Peter DeVries. <laughs> and I will say, I'm in book 11 of 12 of the Wheel of Time series, and we don't know about Mazarin. We're not sure. So it's the 11th hour. I stand by. <laughs> it kind of is. 
Uh, Y'all gotta read this. Okay. So. I'll try at some point. It's a multi-year commitment. Uh, so yeah. Okay. So then oh, you said multi. You said multi-year. I thought you said multi-year, and I was like, oh, oh, don't mind if I do. I'm gonna have another <laughs> another a little multi another sip of this, uh, this beautiful Bardstown. I went with Bardstown because of uh, the whole Gurney Halleck and the Bard sort of thing. Oh, that's mm. cute. I like that, Josh. Uh, what's next, bookwise? Let's let's talk. So about that. okay, so we just Jessica's in there. Piter's like, okay, I'll do what the do. I'll do what the trader says. The defified. What do you call when you take someone's hearing away? You're not muted. You're deafened. 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 Yes. The deafened. Uh, heavy. The I don't. I, let me let me ask you. Does it appear as if I mean is it explicit that the Baron intentionally defified uh, this Scarface man? Or it's was not. he just the deaf guy on the roster? It's an interesting I mean, question. He's clearly been deaf for some time because he knows how to lip read. Right. Okay, but if you're the Baron, do you not recognize that you need a deaf dude in your roster at any given time? Because you're going to have to deal with the Benny Desert at some point. So every six months or so. Oh, even beyond that, I think you need a deaf guy to like stand outside the door for meetings you don't want someone to overhear, uh, right? Like, there's lots oh, of uses. he's got a bunch of deaf guys on the, on the roster. Yeah. So oh, yeah. So I'm sure they deafened this person, and probably the Baron did it personally with great joy. Well, li- <laughs> oh, likely, God. yes. Uh, when did yeah. we meet uh, Sting's character? We've already met him. We met him at the very beginning, the very, two, very first. Briefly. Uh, yeah, the very first Baron chapter. He comes Fade out. Fade Ruta. Oh, I've been all the way back there. Yeah, in his in his, hey. co- his like rubber codpiece. Oh yeah, I forgot we already. But okay. Anyway, continue. I don't want right, to. Right, we've we've met Piter. Where we've met. Yeah, I guess we met Piter there briefly. We met the yep. Baron. We met Fade, and we met. Uh, oh, was Raban in that chapter, or is he just mentioned off screen? He's just mentioned. Okay, I think in the film he appears in that. I thought this was the first time scene. we met the Baron. I've forgotten that we had that chapter way back there. Okay. Yeah, no, he appears in that second chapter and then goes away. Yeah, for... they have some beautiful banter. All right, so they pack Jessica into the thopter. She realizes Paul with with her is mm-hmm. with her, and he's not asleep. Just yeah. Just one more thing about the Baron, just because I can't oh, stop going God. on and on about the Baron. He not only plans these things out so well, but, you know, you talked about how he doesn't want to know information because he is thinking so far out in the future that if he gets questioned by the Reverend Mother, he needs that plausible deniability. Like, he is just plots within plots and, man, I could plots. He's just the best. Although, I think that's an underestimation of the Reverend Mother. Like, she's not going to be smart enough to be like... What was the last thing you saw happen to them? Hmm, good point. Good point. So, I mean, he has some folly in him, too. Yeah. But I have been watching The Sopranos for the first time ever because COVID. And uh, they're always talking about, you know, for the lie detector. So I feel like it's something that, that wise guys think that they're getting ahead on. They're like, no, no, no. I can say it truthfully. It's like, yeah, it's just really obvious that uh, it's a strategic <laughs> anti-knowledge thing you know like you are just like pretending that you can't know definitively even though you definitely but, know but maybe there's some political process at work here right where like after this is all done the the council of noble houses is going to demand that gaius do an inquest right and she needs to be able to right because she works for the emperor she's in on this right mm-hmm. but she needs to be able to turn around and say i tested the baron he does not know what happened to the lady jessica mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And maybe right. knowing that, he doesn't need to be so careful, just careful enough. Right. He doesn't um, need it so that she has plausible deniability. Also, people she... that have uh, given their respect to Jessica, Jessica mentions that even Piter is uh, is fearful of a truth-sayer. You know, he's, she, he's right. given her some respect. And I mean, come on, how it, how it gave her some respect at the end of that, that last chapter. Oh, yeah. No, it's a real tragedy how but it, it comes around. But it took her, like, putting <laughs> like her full-on flex on him, right? He'll never, he'll never forget. 
Y'all, this is my goddamn life I playing mean, out in the pages of Dune. That's a lot of redemption. That's a lot of respect for Jessica in just a few short pages. It's true. She they, they make up for the previous 200 pages of bullshit she went through in two chapters, basically. Yeah. Uh, All right, so they pack him into the ornithopter. Paul's in there. Jessica's in there. They're shoved in the back seat. There's some confusing debate about who should be in the thopter or who shouldn't, but they all get in there, it seems like. Right, so... Right, so that's part of Yui's thing, right? He made sure to tell them that the thopter they had to take was the one that only had room for four the two people prisoners and two guards, right? Yeah. Instead of three guards or four, right? He yeah. He gave, gave them the best chance. odds that he could. But still, they all crammed in there somehow. No, well, the two of them and two guards, but there was ex- there were more guards. There was a third. There was, there was there were two guys that were carrying right. the litter, and then the one guy who was who was deaf, and then when they got there. Just one deaf guy, the one deaf guy, and one of the two carrying the litter got in. The other the third guy did oh, not. He, so he managed I, to shave an extra guy I off of there. Uh, got confused in the reading. I thought there were two, two guys. It seemed oh, like it use, for a moment. To use people first language, the guy who is deaf, not the deaf guy, but the guy who is deaf. You're very, you're, you're so. I'm just shamed. A great shame. Okay, I was confused because I was like, "Don't fight over me." And then, okay, so. They're all crammed in the earth after. They're heading out to the Great Erg. Probably not the Great Erg. They're headed out somewhere uh, with relative to the shield wall. And Paul co- manages to use the voice to convince them to take his mother's gag off. And I love that Jessica's like, oh, every time Paul uses the voice, she comments that he pitches it too high. <laughs> Did you also notice that when Paul uses the voice... He gives a direct command, but when Jessica yes. uses the voice, she uses reverse psychology? Yeah. Yes. What's up with that? I love it. I think she's just... Because... Right, like he said, no. she's... Go ahead. No, no, you go. Nope, you go. <laughs> I love that it's like, this is how a man would use the voice. Like, excuse me. It's like, direct, there's no subtlety, I will make this demand of you. And then Jessica's like, no, it is in the context of like... Persuasion is a multi-dimensional tactic, and it's both the voice and the setting and the actions. Like it is the you have to use them all in tandem. And Paul's like, "Take my mother's gag off." She's like, "Ooh, a little high." And And she goes all sultry. Don't fight over me, boys. (laughs) They're like, "Oh no, I do want to fight over it." So So good. It's so good, and it's so but. The other times the voice has been used in this book, that it hasn't been as nuanced as that. And that's why this part of this chapter is so delicious. Because it's like, yes, that's exactly how these things work. And brings up more of the sort of like dynamic gender play that we've seen of like, what do these, how do these talents work in different contexts? And like, is Paul going to be able to step into that sort of multidimensional mm-hmm. role? Well, he's got to okay, go. Don't, don't fight over me, boys. You can talk now. <laughs> Uh, I also love that uh, Jessica expresses her sadness for the guards who are clearly going to be killed by the men that the Baron sent to leave no trace of what had happened. And then those guys are being watched by other guys. I had a problem with that plan. Why? Because wouldn't it be much easier to just wait till the first guys came back and kill them when they land? Like, as by sending out a second thopter to kill the first thopter, now that second thopter has also seen what happened. So you're just introducing someone else who's a witness that needs to be killed. Right? Watchers for the watchers, too, I mean, as it says on page two. A million deaths were not enough for the Baron. I mean, I would feel like what you would want to do, if I were the Baron Arconan, which, you know, you would... It put a bomb on the thopter before it left, give the control to Piter, and then just when you see that thopter coming back, you just blow it up before it lands. Yeah, see, but that's a great idea. But you would know you'd given that control to Peter. Peter. Except oh. I thought that the other reason for the watchers was to make sure it was carried out. Carried out. It was mm. the confirmation of the Somebody deed Somebody who done. makes sure. Okay. And it was worth two, worth a couple extra guys for that. Because the guys that's watching the watchers can kill them, and now and then now maybe it's their all... thopter had a bomb on it that maybe. we just don't know about. Sure, or, or who cares? I mean, all they were doing was watching watchers. They don't know what the watchers were watching. Fair. All right. Before we descend too far on the watchers, let's wrap this chapter up. So, 
Jessica convinces them through the voice to fight each other. Yep. Paul escapes. He, this is my favorite moment. He starts to tumble out of... They, she gets them to let him run away so they can enjoy her fully, right? She's doing all the tricks. Because rape culture. That's I mean, she just uses rape culture to her full advantage. Mm-hmm. And then Paul is stumbling out of the ornithopter, trips, and turns around in this magical moment. And in my interpretation of it, manages to perfectly kick the balls of one of those guards up <laughs> into his brain so that he dies. As though all of that training focused on this instant. I mean, I also <laughs> imagined him kicking the guy in the ball so hard. But <laughs> he really just kicked his sternum through his heart ventricle. Less interesting. It is less interesting. Also, way less pop. I was like, is he wearing like... Like diamond-toed pointed boots? Like, there's no way you can get the point of your foot under someone's ribcage sufficiently to instantly kill them. Have you but... seen Fade Rautha? Because I'm pretty sure there <laughs> could have been done on that, man. That's true. Yeah. Maybe yeah, Maybe in the 41st, you know, so, eon. Paul yeah. kicks a guy in the balls to death with one <laughs> flick of the toe. That's right. And... And then Jessica, I don't know, they stab it. All the guys are dead. And then they are like, okay, oh, there's a bundle under the seat. How did oh. she feel a bundle under the, was it like the front seat? Isn't she in the back? It's the pilot seat. Yeah, she's under the front seat. She, she's laying down. She's crammed down. She's like grasping oh, around. Oh, she, she felt it under there while she's on the ground? Yeah. Yeah. She, oh. And her. then she looks up. And there's the mark of UA's house on the roof. But also that, eh, we could come back to this because we've got time to do the next chapter. But UA's like trying to be so, so sly, but marks his own house signal on the roof of the... Well, but I highly doubt that your average Harkonnen knows Yui's house symbol, right? Sure, it, just... it just feels a little risky. I mean, maybe. But why? Okay. Ultimate UA move, like... He wants to redeem himself in some way. This is all his vague, mm-hmm. like futile, not futile because it ends up working out, but his attempt at redemption. And he wants them to know that even though he totally fucked up their lives, they should be thankful to him for doing it the way that he did. It's true. What a guy. Total abuser. One a day. Thousand deaths are not enough for you, eh? One day, Yui's head will be mounted on the wall of their dining room. Mm. <laughs> Across from a picture of the Duke. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> will will there be a tooth in this in this montage? Yeah. Oh man. It'll if be a I, picture. If I were designing the Atreides castle, there would be one tooth in the Duke's mouth would be painted gold, and when you push on that tooth it opens a secret door. Yes. Yes. yes! Oh, this is so good. But that's my twisted Harkonnen in mind at work. So the Atreides would never have anything that actually cool. That's true. You're so a Harkonnen, Alec. Uh, all right. And then we're on. Let's just go on to this last chapter. Arrakis teaches the attitude of the knife. Chopping off what's incomplete and saying, now it's complete because it's ended here. From Collected Sayings of Muad'Dib by the Prince of Zirulan. I love this quote. I love that quote. It is Yui. It's his entire um, motivation, right? He knows that his Wana is dead, but he needs that closure. This is all about closure. Uh, hmm. I thought it was a continuation of Alex. Like, are they Atreides of the Jewish faith? <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, that's pretty great. <laughs> Do I have to claim them? <laughs> well, you know, some of them all right. have to be all right. 30 second rundown. I don't want to do it. You guys do it. What happens in this chapter? Why do you love it, Josh? What's the closure that happens in this brief chapter that is four pages, three and a half pages? I mean, it's such a bad job the first time. You want me to do another one? All right. Um, yeah. Sure. So... Yui is uh, is standing there with uh, a man in a Harkonnen uniform who he figures out is actually a Sadakar. 
um, one of the the emperor's elite troopers. Um, this is that whole plan that um, the duke figured out so long ago, but failed to be able to avoid. Um, and basically, the whole point of this thing here is the Sardaukar are verifying that Yui did what he said he was going to do, and that the uh, the duke and the the lady and everyone have been captured and subdued, and then uh, to call Yui a traitor and have everyone. Uh, call Yui a traitor to the point where he realizes that that is now how history will remember him. Um, what's interesting about this chapter, before I go into the, the last little section here, is that it happens out of order. Um, this is mm-hmm. Yui af- oh, right, right after subduing the Duke um, and letting the shield wall down. And then he now sneaks out of sight of everybody when they tell him, I'll go wait over there, you're, you're traitor. And then he sneaks around, and that's when he goes to the, the thopt, his thopter, plants the little pack in the under the uh, the seat for Jessica oh. and Paul. Yeah, it's and a, then it's sneaks Frem back. pack, right? Aren't they a sponsor of ours? A Frem pack? Do you, do you remember what is in a Frem pack? I think it's a still suit, mm-hmm. uh, an official ducal signet decoder ring. Well, that's not and part of the Nature's front Valley pack. granola that was just bar. With the front pack, right? Yeah, and a cliff bar. <laughs> and a cliff bar. Any any water in there? You don't need water. Yeah. You're never going to lose any water again with a patented front pack brand still suit. Mmm, very good. That, that makes that makes sense. Um, are there instructions of how to properly put on a still suit? I think it's a, a QR code for a YouTube video. <laughs> oh, it's perfect. It actually will also. Um, wait, do they have? They don't have YouTube videos that you need a Mentat to act it out for you. <laughs> it's a QR code for Mentat for Mentat charades. For Mentat charades, yes. Um, and if you don't have that, I guess do they have recordings at least? Can they record a Mentat so you can at least like watch it on your yeah, Mentat watch? Paul watches some holographic film strips. Right? They're, yes. They're holographic, but they're somehow printed on spice film. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, they this built is those a big into old conspiracy. You've bought into the Frempack nonsense. <laughs> it's a corporate bullshit ploy. Because if you don't know, you don't know. Like, if you're not from the Fremen, if you don't like know people in this context, and so they, this is one of those knockoff Fremen suits. It's not real. The logos aren't true. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't you be disparaging our, our sponsor. Now, hold on a second. The if Fremen. If isn't clear, I don't have to say shit. The Fremen don't need Frempacks. They've got their own shit. It's the other exactly. people that need the Frempacks. That's pack. why it. These are legitimate. This is a Wish.com version of an actual still suit. <laughs> These are authentic Fremen Frempacks. They sell them. Okay. In every siege, they sell them in oh, every. Wait, shit! We're not getting any money anyway. It's Frem Kit. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck! Can you just delete this See, and we can start all over? You're such a shill. <laughs> That's why it's the Wish.com knockoff. Oh, Frem Kit. Oh, yeah, Frem I know those legit. people. Last we time got sponsored by Frem. That's Pat. a worker-owned last time. Man. We, last time we ever let so Alec. Chill. Last time we ever let Alec handle one of our sponsors. He can't even get the name right. This is why I handle this shit. Y'all need to consult with me. Frem kits when you need the real shit. There it is. The Frem kit. You, you're right. Message. You were right to, to say say bad stuff about the Frem pack. The Frem <laughs> pack is the knockoff. It's garbage. <laughs> My boy Muadib told me he adjusted. He, he saw me in a Frem pack and was like, what are these settings? Who did this for you? You need a Frem kit. The Frem pack does not filter your urine properly. So... <laughs> Just a Mr. Coffee. <laughs> Just saying. All right. So you is a traitor. He knows he's been going to be a traitor yeah, forever and ever. I love that line where he's like, even when they've profited by me, they despise me. Like, yeah, what the fuck did you think was going to happen? Right? And you did all of this to get your wanna, but you knew she was dead. Not even get her. Just like know she was dead. That is the, literally, Alec, that's the only thing in this little three-page chapter that I highlighted. And that isn't that the nature of, like, extractive capitalist colonialists, right? Like, oh, you thought, what, you were their buddy now? Like, you betrayed your people, mm. and now they're going to love you? Like, no, man, like... Yeah. Hell no. Yeah, they turned you against the rival local princes, and you thought that meant that you were the special one? <laughs> nah. 
Nah, dog. Um, there was. We lost the shout-out mapes for this. For this? <laughs> for this? Man. Shaking my head. And apparently he's got Duncan out there waiting. Like, Duncan's just waiting at a bus stop or something to give them. Wait, so confusing. <laughs> I mean, I think it'll come lo- up. Right? Yeah. It's just a mm-hmm. funny little thing. Uh, I do like. The one thing I really liked about this chapter, actually, is the way that everything is constantly described as being lit by the burning palm trees. Oh, I forgot about that. I, I also that? enjoyed that very much. Really right? Sets... Like the Harkonnens came in and they just, right? They shut down the power, lit all the palm trees on fire, and used that for illumination for the evening. Fuck. Remember, the palm trees were the ones that were consuming all that water. Yeah. People had to spit on. So. That is, uh, that's interesting. You think the locals are going to appreciate that act of kindness? No, because now all that water's I boiled away into the atmosphere. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think they come, Won't it come back that. down at some point? It does not rain on Arrakis, Josh. Well, if there's so. enough, if there's enough moisture if you burn in the enough air, palm trees. <laughs> can't right. burn a palm tree. Here's a hot take, and I'm not committed to this, and I may regret this later. Is the Harkonnens burning the palm trees? A false flag akin to people like did y'all see that video of the cop the unknown white gentleman busting up the auto zone in Minneapolis during the uh, protests not specifically no. okay but let's just say is the burning of the palm trees a false flag from the Harkonnens to be like no this is an uprising like they you know this is a burning of how horrible the Atreides were they perpetuating these things mm-hmm. I don't think the Atreides were there long enough to make a legitimate claim of that, but I guess yeah. we'll find out, right? Like, we'll see in later chapters, like, the Harkonnens True. interacting with the populace. Mm. How will the, the people know how great the, the Harkonnens are unless they tell them? Taking a chapter out of the old Duke's book. Right. I love that you're still finding ways to be a Duke apologist, Josh. <laughs> I, right, just like, I just like quoting them. He's got some good, he's very quotable. He's a quotable man. <laughs> All right. Well, I we think made we, it. Yeah. We made it through three chapters, guys. guys and we, we did it did much it. faster than the last time we did two chapters. So oh, I shit. just, okay, okay. Here, hold on. What I did this episode was I used my Benny Gesserit facilitation powers, which I do all day during my work life. And normally I say, hi, I just want to do a chime check. Um, we're on item three of seven in the agenda. I think we need to move on to the next one. But I just kind of did a little Jessica on you guys. Did a little like, hey, let's move it on a little bit. I guess look where we are. I think it helped that I read the chapters twice. <laughs> Typical man, we'll give you the credit and, and, and didn't and, and, and didn't and didn't write the last commercial while you guys were reviewing the third chapter that I hadn't read. I that mean, none copy, of that you were editing that copy with our sponsors. Okay, you had to do a lot I, of that. There was there was a lot of communication. It was it was difficult. I mean, we were talking about different uh, time zones, different universes. I mean, it was, it was different fraught. menstrual cycles. <laughs> It's a lot. How do you talk about your moon cycle when you're on a planet with multiple moons? It's a really difficult piece. Mm. That's why you need a melange. <laughs> Josh, do you go into regular meetings with that background? Uh, I haven't, but I will. You should. <laughs> I certainly will. I'll also pitch our podcast to all of my uh, colleagues. Josh's background is the Shabaud uh, leaping up from behind his head in a dunescape for listeners it's a beautiful beautiful worm so join us in two weeks weeks wait speaking of Shia I am very excited because I backed a a game a board game Kickstarter and they hit their stretch goal this is an Egyptian themed game Egyptian gods are fighting and stuff in the sandscape of Egypt and they unlock the stretch goal where we now get a sandworm in the game and the the creator of the game even mentioned in his little diary in the in the kickstarter that he's a big fan of frank herbert's dune so i was glad you're gonna say gom jabber <laughs> oh one day one day i will i will make sure that happens but uh yes i will be able to paint my my little miniature shy once i once i receive it i've been saying it wrong all episode this is 
All right. I liked your I remember... saying, but yeah, it sounded very authentic. Have you I'm watched? Very have you guys American watched accent. Star Trek Discovery? I've watched a couple seasons. Okay. You mean the the Quantum Leap Star Trek mashup? <laughs> yes, that is it. Oh no 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 no! You mean the the new new not the, newest the one show. before? There's a bunch of time travel. Is right, the one mean? right before Picard. Yeah. Okay, we don't have time for this now. I have so many thoughts about it. Yes, okay. I watched it. I just wanted to say, uh, one of the things I liked in that a lot was in the past, the Klingon homeworld had always been called Kronos. And then in the new series, they pronounce it Kronos, right? In like real mm. Klingon. And I was like, oh, we've just been hearing it with a white people accent for the last 20 <laughs> yes. years. Yes. <laughs> yeah, see, that's exactly what it is. You're, you're saying it right, Lily. I'm just... Yeah, you're saying the it. actual Fremen pronunciation, and we're going with the... Yes. Princess of Rulon's manual of Dune biology pronunciation. So, yeah, join us in two-ish weeks for another episode of Gom Jabber with the Moa Dweeps. Um, Where we will read do, some chapters, do you think shoot that some shit. Arulan actually spent any time on Arrakis? Josh, join us in two weeks to find out the answer to that question. We're trying to wrap this up. I want to know if she ever did any bird watching of cannibalistic uh, birds on Arrakis. And if I she ever wrote she and if she ever wrote a book, like an Audubon book about <laughs> cannibalistic you know how, birds of Arrakis. Yes. You know where we can continue this conversation? On the social media. Follow us on Instagram at Gumjabber. Josh is gonna get our Facebook up even though he doesn't want to. And um, find us there, because I'm gonna get back at it because we need to. We need this Dune Spiracy. We need a space to share we need to get Dune the truth out there. Yeah. We need to All get right. the truth out there. Bye. <laughs>